Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profit from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own feed. Aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the food that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered food. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. The safety dance. I think that's what we'll call it. The GM biotech industry assures us they have conducted adequate safety studies of genetically modified foods and that these DNA-manipulated foods are entirely safe for human consumption. And to bolster their claims of safety, the industry loves to tout the names and institutions of corroborating scientists. However, these same scientists and institutions are among the hidden benefactors funded by the very industry they support. But, contrarily, a wealth of independent testing by credible and experienced scientists around the world reveals consistently frightening results, all pointing to the dire health risks of long-term GMO consumption. All of these test studies are inexplicably and vehemently dismissed by the profit-driven biotech industry under claims such as lack of credibility and faulty testing. And it is so alarming the protective agencies put in place to keep us safe do not even conduct their own testing of these foods. Instead, they just rely on the tests supplied to them by corporations like Monsanto. In the safety dance of the GM biotech industry, it's all of us. It is the unsuspecting consumer who is not so safe after all. And I really think we need to talk about that. Now, in previous shows, we've talked quite a bit about the biotech industry and its players and have heard claims and statements from both sides of the fence on the issues involving GMOs. We've heard claims that use statistics and former testing that has been done to prove a point or justify actions, but we haven't really looked closely at where these are coming from, and I'd like to focus on that right now. And let's get to the bottom of what significant testing has been done in reference to GMOs. It's so easy to get caught up in the heat of an argument or to defend a position by pulling statistics out of a hat or making the fallacy of appeal to authority, kind of like uh, my scientist is better than your scientist type of thing. The fact is there are credible scientists on both sides of the issue who have made important contributions to their field. But there is also an important distinction between what is known as independent research and research that is financially supported by corporate agendas. Testing of GMOs is a necessary step for the regulatory process in the United States. But regulation is confusing because the EPA, USDA, and FDA all deal with different aspects of GMOs. If a company wants to get a GM product approved for commercialization, it needs to satisfy the criteria for all three agencies separately. So in a nutshell, the EPA evaluates GM plants in terms of toxic chemicals and their impact on the environment. 
The USDA evaluates whether the plant is safe to grow and how it affects other varieties of nearby plants. And the FDA evaluates whether the plant is safe for human consumption. For example, the EPA regulates GMOs with pesticides or toxins like Bt corn, but it does not regulate GMOs that are modified only nutritionally or for other reasons like disease resistance. In that case, the USDA picks up where the EPA leaves off and regulates drought-tolerant or disease-tolerant crops, as well as crops grown for animal feed or any fruits, vegetables, and grains for human consumption. The FDA focuses more on final products. For instance, a bag of corn chips containing GM corn is regulated by them, but the whole ear of corn prior to processing would be regulated by the other agencies, just to give you an idea of how all of this works. The FDA has responsibility to ensure the safety of human foods, but you might be shocked to know that it doesn't actually do any of its own testing. Instead, it just relies on the tests of whoever is wanting to submit for evaluation. So as far as the FDA is concerned, amazingly, it is the company providing the research on their own product that is trusted in safety tests, not any independent scientific review. I, for one, find that incredibly frightening, absolutely terrifying. So who is it that actually evaluates and regulates genetically modified crops per se? Well, that falls under the authority of the USDA, and it takes a very similar approach to testing as the FDA does. For example, in order for a biotech GM crop to get approval from the USDA, a company must propose the testing it plans to do to ensure safety of the end product and then conduct studies using their own scientists. As studies are going on, results and data are sent back to the USDA. The product then goes through a deregulation process where the USDA compares the final results of the study to a set criteria and based on that, decides whether or not the GM crop would cause a negative outcome to the environment. So even though these federal agencies require biotech companies to meet guidelines and requirements for safety in their GM plants, the common denominator is that the actual testing falls squarely on the company. Well, this protocol seems to defeat the purpose of objectively making determinations for public safety, doesn't it? And it opens the door to corrupt and skewed information. If a biotech company like Monsanto wants to have a product approved, they merely follow the USDA protocol and submit their own tests from their own scientists. So when you hear about Monsanto and other GMO proponents making statements quoting studies claiming that GMOs are completely safe, know that these are most likely coming from their own camp or at least from research that was financed by them. Now here is a very important point. Biotechnology is not a discipline where independent scientists are working to understand nature for the betterment of mankind. Biotechnology is a business, period. It is mostly financed, driven, and owned by only a handful of very large and profitable corporations. And these corporations have a lock on what we know about the safety and benefits of their biotech products. We don't have the complete picture. But that's not an accident. Multi-billion dollar corporations like Monsanto and Syngenta have restricted independent research on their genetically engineered crops. They either flat out refuse to provide independent scientists with GM product, or they've set restricted conditions that severely limit what research can be done on them. This is all legal, by the way. And as we already know, under U.S. law, genetically engineered crops are patentable inventions, which means companies have a sweeping power over the use of any patented GM product, 
including who can study it and what their limitations are. It's common for companies to deny research and justify it by saying that unrestricted research could make them vulnerable to lawsuits if an experiment were to show that it somehow leads to harm or that it could give competitors unfair insight into their products or gain a competitive advantage. But it's likely that they fear something else too, that a study could reveal one of their products as being hazardous or not performing as well as promised. Like many other studies around the world, have already shown. Whatever the reasons, the results are clear. Independent research has essentially been blocked. In 2009, 26 university scientists collectively wrote a letter to the EPA protesting their restricted access to GM seeds. The letter went public, but since most research is funded by biotech corporations, nearly all of the scientists chose to remain anonymous, fearing retaliation that might further hamper their research, or worse yet, have their funding pulled. A statement from the letter said, quote, No truly independent research can be legally conducted on many critical questions involving these crops. Industry is completely driving the bus. End quote. It is a known fact that the big biotech corporations financially support most of the genetic engineering research done in this country. Whose word better to take than scientists trying to do the actual research but are restricted from doing it? The dangers should be clear. Several years ago, the seed company Pioneer, owned by DuPont, was developing a strain of genetically engineered corn that contained a toxin to help it resist corn rootworm, which is a, uh, an insect pest. Well, a group of university scientists working at Pioneer's request found that the corn also appeared to kill a species of beneficial ladybug, which indicated that other helpful insects might also be harmed. But according to a report in the journal Nature Biotechnology, DuPont said its own research showed no ladybug problems, and so it prohibited the scientists from making their research public, and it was also not sent to the EPA. Well, as it turned out, a couple years later, the EPA approved a version of the same corn, and that's known as Herculex. Now understand that research restrictions like this also prevent scientists from assessing how genetically engineered crops perform against other modified crops and how well they hold up to the hype and promises that are made about them. Higher yields, less farmer inputs, and so on. In fact, not long ago, the states of Arkansas and West Virginia sued Monsanto, wanting to gain access to their new line of GM soybean seeds, Roundup Ready 2. That claimed up to 11% more yield. They tried to force Monsanto to release data so that a proper independent study could be done to determine if the increased cost to farmers would be justified as it had an impact on the state's economies. In response, Monsanto tried to suggest that it already allows independent study through agreements with the USDA, which grant their scientists access to Monsanto's seeds, and that there are similar agreements with some universities as well. But this is all meaningless rhetoric because the USDA is very lax in its dealings with Monsanto. The director of the USDA himself, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Bilsack, is an outspoken advocate for GMOs and Monsanto. So any research done by them is as if Monsanto was doing it themselves. And as far as Monsanto sharing their trade secrets with universities, well, there again, it doesn't really matter because the universities are where much of Monsanto's biotech ideas are generated and funded. These arguments may be convincing to a court, 
but the public really has no idea what the true nature of Monsanto's relationship is with the USDA and others. We can be fairly certain that they do not foster independent research. This is not how science should operate, where biotech corporations remain as gatekeepers, choosing who is allowed to do research and what topics are studied. With all the talk so far about testing, how is it done in terms of genetically modified crops, and how do we know which studies are reliable or not? These may seem like very basic questions, but there is much disagreement on the matter. It all gets down to the way an experiment is designed, what is being tested, how many subject groups are involved, what are the environmental conditions, how many trials should there be, and how long should they go. Variations in these factors can completely change the outcome of the experiment and lead to critical differences in the interpretation of the data. For example, studies where rats are tested for cancer or other adverse health conditions while on a diet of GMOs give different results depending on the length of the trial period. Conventional biotech industry testing uses trial periods of no more than 90 days. However, independent studies have used much longer trial periods. And interestingly and frighteningly, depending on the experiment, severe conditions tend not to arise until beyond the 90-day cutoff point that industry standards use. This fact prevents them from seeing the full manifestation of cancers and disease that might occur later in the continuum of a given study. Yet this satisfies many governmental requirements for approval and gives a false indication of safety for these foods. One of the more notable and recent examples of this was the work of Professor Seralini, Professor of Molecular Biology at Caen University in France. Seralini conducted a study in 2012 on the effects of a particular GM variety of corn known as NK603 maize, a Monsanto product. He designed his study as a direct follow-up and comparison to an early one done by Monsanto, which was required for the product to be approved. Monsanto published the results of its test in 2004, the same year that the maize was authorized in the European Union. And although differences were found between the GM-fed rats and those fed a natural diet, the European Food Safety Authority claimed that the differences were of no biological significance and that the maize was as safe as non-GM maize. Well, Seralini set out to see whether these findings really were of no biological significance, as the Food Safety Authority claimed, or whether they developed into more serious disease. The overall experimental design was similar to Monsanto's, with the differences being that Seralini's experiment was conducted over a longer trial period, two years to Monsanto's 90 days, and it was far more detailed in scope. For example, Seralini's experiment measured a larger number of health effects and was designed to distinguish between the effects caused specifically by the GM maize and those caused by the herbicide Roundup. This was the first study on a GM crop to distinguish effects in this way. It was also the first time that maize containing these specific genes had been tested on rats over a two-year period, nearly their entire lifespan. Seralini's study also looked at the toxicity of the Roundup herbicide when it was fed directly to rats. His findings were alarming. Both the GM maize and the Roundup caused serious kidney and liver damage and an increased development of tumors, leading to an increased rate of mortality. These effects hadn't shown up in Monsanto's 90-day test because it was too short. Serious diseases like organ damage and tumors take time to develop and become obvious later in a lifespan. 
to put this in a human perspective, 90 days in a rat is equivalent to around 10 years in humans. And this brings home a very important point that many people are misinformed about. Biotech companies and GMO proponents continually use the current lack of severe health problems as proof that their products are safe for consumption. But in human terms, the real adverse effects won't begin to manifest for more than a decade after regular consumption. If the research is correct, then it suggests we will be seeing these extreme health effects within the next decade. An objective analysis of Professor Seralini's study clearly indicates that long-term unbiased studies are essential in properly determining the safety of GM foods. And let me note this for you as well. After Professor Seralini released his findings, he was met with massive opposition from the biotech science community, with claims that he used flawed, activist, scientific methods and shouldn't be taken seriously. Biotech officials and supporters claim the study was biased, poorly performed, bogus, substandard, agenda-based science. They even asserted that Seralini was seeking to harm the rats he used in the study and dismissed the experiment as inhuman. France was termed the most anti-science country in Europe. This campaign has succeeded in negatively influencing current public opinion on the matter to the point of having a cancellation effect on the findings and has worked to mute and delegitimize valid scientific claims about the true nature of GMOs and the pesticides used with them. For France, extreme pressure from the United States and other GMO-supporting nations has reached the point of straining political relationships between the countries. That's how big this issue is, where lines can be drawn so that entire countries are pressured to conform or risk being excluded from the global community. Along the same lines, I want to mention Arpad Pustai, a Scottish scientist who is considered to be one of the world's most respected and well-learned biochemists. He put together a team that performed a study of the health effects tied to consuming genetically modified BT potatoes. Much to their surprise, the team discovered that contrary to what the biotech industry had been proclaiming about this product, the BT potato was responsible for causing severe health damage in test rats which Dr. Pustai quickly relayed to the media out of concern for public health. But rather than be supported for their honest scientific assessment and warnings for the sake of public safety, Pustai and his colleagues were chastised by industry-backed government authorities, including British Prime Minister Tony Blair. For speaking the truth, he was immediately fired from his position and his team dismissed from their positions. In another case, Scientist Hussein Kayoud from Egypt's Cairo University decided to do a self-funded independent study on genetically modified food in rats. And not surprisingly, he produced the same alarming results as the other scientists I've mentioned. He fed nine groups of rats and mice between January and March of last year. He fed them different genetically modified foods such as potatoes, corn, grapes, and tomatoes. He set the level of their food intake to comprise about 10% of the rodents' diets, and the remaining 90% was conventional, non-genetically modified food. And then he analyzed their physiological and psychological reactions. He noted that symptoms started to appear after four weeks into the experiment. He commented, saying, quote, I recorded the alteration of different organs, shrinkage of kidneys, 
change in the liver and spleen, appearance of malignant parts in the tissues. The brain functions of the animals were touched as well, and their learning and memory abilities were seriously altered. End quote. Kead said he also recorded the rats having lower immunity to diseases and were much more sensitive to environmental pollution, particularly heavy metals and dioxin, with several of them developing cancer. He also observed another alarming problem. The death rate of baby rats raised by mothers on a diet of genetically modified corn increased by 35% compared with the group of babies whose mothers ate natural corn. This is a significant and important statistic for us to think about. So far, it remains to be seen whether or not the biotech community at large will accept the Kiaud study as valid. It's doubtful. What all this clearly illustrates, though, is that modern science, for the most part, can hardly be considered benign and truth-seeking. Modern science gives one the sense of being on a child's playground where being big and loud somehow substitutes for being right. Who would you trust? And as for the safety dance, please, please understand that only independent and unbiased studies can draw us the true picture of GMOs in our food supply. And despite Monsanto and other GM biotech proponents discrediting them, those tests are out there. They've been done. They are continuing to be done. They have no profit-driven motive. They aren't going for political gain or allegiance. And these tests that are allowed to run beyond the 90-day safe zone have revealed terrifying results that give us insight into a very frightening future, perhaps only a decade away. Decide who you trust, profit-driven science or concerned independent and unbiased scientists who are bringing us these results. And on that note, we'll leave it there and move on to a special segment of the program called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there have kindly taken the time to write into the website with their questions and comments. And to close each show of the program, I'll go through as many as I can. And first up, I'll start with Cheryl. Cheryl Crawlinburg writes in and says, Hello, my name is Cheryl. I enjoy cooking very much and have been recently striving for a GMO-less lifestyle. Since I am known for my cooking in my family, I pride myself on being creative and making more from less. But recently, the thought started running through my mind about spices. I have a whole pantry full of spices. I'm aware of the main GMO sources like corn and soy, and I do avoid those. But I wonder about common spices. Are there any that are GMO? I hate the thought of mixing GMOs into dishes I prepare. I'd be most interested to know about coriander and ginger. Know anything about those or others? Thanks in advance for your response. Well, hi, Cheryl. Thank you so much for your interesting question, and it's a really good one, uh, one that many have probably wondered about once they begin to learn more about GMOs in our food supply. Uh, the fact is there's not really a lot of information out there about GMO herbs and spices specifically, but there are a couple of things we can think about and, and consider and sort of look out for. The first thing is that herbs and spices, in a general sense, are all plant-based. So there is a possibility that they do come from GM seeds. Uh, most of the homegrown herbs and spices on the market say they are non-GMO, so that is reassuring, but we still would never know in many cases because, of course, labeling is not required in the United States. Uh, and until it is, we just have to trust those brands of seeds that claim to be organic or non-GMO. But if they are labeled that or certified, uh, you know, non-GMO or certified organic, that's pretty trustworthy because there are very strict guidelines, uh, you know, for those certifications. 
otherwise, it's simply an unknown. There's just not much out there yet. Uh, sorry, I hope that helps. Thanks for writing in. And up next, we have Will. Will Belsler writes in and says, Hi there, I always hear about them using rodents in experiments dealing with GMOs, and I was wondering if that is for a specific reason. I know they use rodents for just about everything, but I wondered why specifically for GMOs. Uh, I've got to tell you that when I hear statistics about mice, I kind of turn off and don't really take it very seriously. How can we draw any meaningful conclusions about how these things affect us humans? It just seems a little ridiculous to me. We're not mice. Hi, Will. I'm so glad you asked that because I've actually heard that question of, of many times before. Um, you know, it's it's hard to put much stock in a little mouse that seems, you know, eons away from a human being. But there are actually several valid reasons scientists use mice or other rodents in their studies. Uh, you know, first of all, mice are small and don't require much food or housing space. Uh, they also have consistent and good-sized numbers of offspring. But the major reason is that mice have a very similar genetic structure to humans. And so, therefore, you know, have very similar reactions and outcomes to disease or other treatments as we humans have. Uh, they call it having consistent disease manifestations. And since mice are so close to us genetically, uh, how their bodies react to certain inputs correlates uh, rather well with how we would on many levels uh, respond also. Uh, and that's what makes some of these studies that I was talking about in this show so absolutely uh, credible and, and terrifying. Thanks for writing in. And up next is Gloria. Gloria Tile writes in and says, I really get a lot of your show. Thanks very much for doing it. I've heard a little bit going around about Agenda 21 and wondered if you could elaborate a little bit on that concept. Thanks if you have the time. Hi, Gloria. Thank you for your question about Agenda 21. I do have the time. In fact, I'm actually working on a show uh, for next week about it because there are some really important issues that uh, we need to discuss, I think. Uh, but listen, I'll try to tell you what I know about it. Agenda 21 is a United Nations voluntary involvement group who are concerned with global sustainability. And this basically looks at how resources can be allocated to best supply resources where they are needed in the world to help sustain the growing populations. And it all sounds great on the surface, and I'm sure that the intent is good, right? But there are many who believe that this group is being used as a vehicle by big corporations to gain access to certain markets or resources and move toward a more centralized global support or controlling entity. And it is very interesting that Monsanto has officially joined the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, which is a group of very powerful interests like major banks and big oil companies that all support the Agenda 21 ideals. And it kind of makes one suspicious, doesn't it? Uh, so I think we all better keep our eyes out uh, on this one. And like I say, I, I will be doing a show uh, all about the issues surrounding Agenda 21. Thanks so much for writing in. And with that, I've run out of time in the segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, just go ahead and fill in the form and send me along your thoughts. I'll feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice, it really does matter, and it will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. I also want to let you know about the Facebook page for the series. If you are enjoying the show and would like to participate in some more interactive communication, I would love for you to come give a like and join in at www.facebook.com 
slash Anna Kavanaugh Mad Science Genetic Crossroad, and I hope to see you there. You can also follow the show on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash GMO Mad Science. Thank you for listening to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. On next week's show, that's Tuesday, May 14th, we'll continue our conversation with a program named Agenda Domination. What is Agenda 21 all about? A United Nations voluntary consortium or a stepping stone toward a global centralized government? Under the disguise of world sustainability and feeding the hungry, is there an underlying agenda that is not so altruistic? Monsanto, along with other powerful corporations, have shown more than an interest in Agenda 21. What use could this be for them? I hope you'll join me for next week's broadcast. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed.